Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Let's, uh, let's go to the book of Acts tonight. Let's go to the book of Acts, and we are, uh, I want you to buckle up, because tonight... We're going to cover the entire book of Acts, all right? So we're going to be here for a little while. Buckle up, buckle in. No, I'm just kidding. We are covering the whole book, but <clears throat> it'll be something that I think um, will be a help and uh, something I was challenged in even this week, and I think it'll be an encouragement to us as we get in the handout tonight. So you ever looked at something and um, maybe, maybe you look at how somebody does something or you look at uh, maybe what, what a construction person would make or a cook, what they can cook, and you just think, how in the world did they do that? I mean, I could never do something like that. I've used the illustration before, but Hannah, being an artist, every time she paints something new, I, I just come home and I'm blown away. I'm like, I could never do that. I can't even, I, I could never do that. I think about other people in here that have uh, the ability, like Brother Tom Loss, to work with wood. I've seen some of the, the, some of the things that Tom Loss can make with wood. I'm just, I, I can't even imagine it. Like, I couldn't even think about that, you know? My, my nephew made it in back here, Levi, and he does great construction work. His dad, Jim, my brother-in-law, Jim does some things, building and stuff, that I've always just been blown away with and thought, how, can, how does he do that? You know what? When you come to the, the, uh, the Word of God and you come to the story of the book of Acts, what you find take place in the book of Acts is you find Acts chapter number 1 is where we're going to start. But from Acts 1 all the way to Acts 28, we find the gospel literally going from one place to around the world to around the known world. And in a matter of 30 to 35 years, the gospel of Jesus goes from 500 people to literally millions of people. How did they do that? How did they get the gospel from one place to the next? And that's what we're going to study out tonight because I think there's four keys in the book of Acts that will help us see how they did that. But then the challenge is going to be, will we continue it? Because what we're going to be faced with in the next couple of weeks as we move into uh, October 17th through 20th, our missions emphasis, what, the question that I'm going to present to everybody, and, and that last night um, uh, on the 20th, I'm going to be preaching out of Acts chapter number 13. And what are we going to do? What's our part to help continue what God started? And so that's the decision we're going to make. But the four keys I'm going to give you tonight, these, these things are a must if we're going to continue what they did in the book of Acts. And so stand with me if you would. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. And verse number 8 is going to be the verse that we're spending time in. And then we're just going to go through. I want you to keep your Bible open. Uh, we've got a lot of Scripture tonight, so we're going to be turning pages. And I'll be reading those rather quickly. But Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8. The Word of God says this, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. All right, so this is Luke writing about what we would call the Great Commission. Okay, all four Gospels record the Great Commission, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Luke actually records it for us twice, the book of Luke and then the book of Acts. This letter, okay, the book of Acts is from Luke. 
If you go back to Acts 1, 4 and 5, to a man by the name of Theophilus. And he calls him, uh, he calls him High Theophilus. Go back real quick. Verse number uh, 1, the former treaties have I made unto thee, O Theophilus. And then uh, towards the end of the book, I forget where it is, but he calls him, um, I forget the title he uses. Give me a second. I think he might use the word mighty. Mighty Theophilus or something like that. And uh, what it's talking about is he was probably a Roman ruler. He's probably a Roman ruler and he's in high regard. And he, talk, he just refers to Theophilus. But what he's giving to him is not only the account of Christ, that was the book of Luke, but the account of how the gospel of Jesus spread from Jerusalem all the way around the world. Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8 is really the small picture of what you see unveiled in the entire book. The Gospels in Jerusalem goes to Samaria and Judea and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. But there was four elements that I think are key in it. So tonight we're gonna answer that question, how did it happen? We're gonna see Luke help us see that tonight. And so let's pray and then get into the word. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a moment and continue, or ask the Lord to, uh, to speak to you Ask the Lord to help you tonight to listen to his spirit and then make the commitment that what God speaks to you about, you're listening to him. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the word of God. And we pray that you'd help us as we get into your word tonight, that you would challenge us and use us. And Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually start in Acts 1, and we're just going to go all the way through the 28 chapters and just discover how this scene unfolded over these 35 years. Of course, if you go to Acts chapter number 1, we know Jesus has probably been dead for about 40 days, uh, maybe so, you know, about, about a month, month and a half, Jesus has been dead and ascended up into heaven. And so Acts chapter number one is Luke recording and saying, hey, he went up to heaven and here was the command that was given in Acts 1.8. From Acts 1.9 and on, we begin to see what takes place with the believers that were there at Jerusalem. If you go to Acts chapter number one and verse number 14, uh, you'll find that the believers continued in prayer. Uh, it says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and, the Mar uh, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So the believers, they don't know really what's going on. They know that Jesus is gone. They know that they have a great commission. They know that they have been given instruction. What are they going to do? All right, hey, let's pray. Let's just go to prayer. And so they go to prayer. You find Acts 1, 15 through 26. There was a man by the name of Matthias that filled the role of Judas. Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 24 and 25. It says, they prayed and said... Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these uh, two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go into his place. So, hey, Lord, we've got a work to do. We have 11 spots. We need a 12th because that's what Jesus set up. And so who do you want to fill that spot? Well, let's pray about it. They prayed, Matthias steps up, and he, he begins to take part. You move into Acts chapter number two, and you find the day of Pentecost. What takes place on the day of Pentecost? Peter gets up and boldly proclaims the word of God. He preaches to thousands of people. Look with me, Acts chapter two. Uh, he, he preaches to them. It begins in verse number um, 14. But Peter, standing up with the 11, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this, known, uh, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. And what's he do? He preaches Christ, boldly proclaims the gospel and who Jesus is. 
If you think about the scene there, I mean, it's really set up. We don't have time to do it. You can go listen to the um, uh, um, Unstoppable series, and we preached that a couple years ago. But the scene is this. Thousands of people from all over the world, just a month and a half after Jesus was crucified and risen from the dead, Roman guards would be in the group. The Sanhedrin would be in the group. So the Pharisees and the scribes and some of the rulers that put Jesus to death would be in that group. And yet with boldness and with courage, Peter steps up. These are the very people that just crucified Christ. Do you think the fear was there in his mind of what's going to happen to me? I think the fear was, the fear is probably there. And yet he still stands up and you can go read the message that he preaches to him. He basically says, hey, the Lord's blood is on your hands. Hey, Roman guard, I can see him looking one of the guards in the eyes and saying, hey, you were the one that drove the nails in. Looking over here, hey, you were the one that started the chant, crucify him. And he, with boldness, he stands up and begins to preach Christ to them. Well, Acts chapter two and verse 41 and 42, uh, or uh, yeah, 41 and 42 records for us what happens. The church grows. They that gladly received his word were baptized the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So the 500, the 500 or so that we know were believers at that time, that is, this has now grown to now there's, I mean, just recorded right here, there's now 3,500 believers right there. I believe there's more believers, 3,500 are part of the church, but more people that were saved. And so now you have... 3,500 to 4,000 people that know Christ. All right, Acts chapter number three takes place. This is the healing of the man uh, in the temple. We looked at this a few weeks ago as we prepared for our uh, uh, end of the city outreaches. Acts three goes, they have ministry in Jerusalem. They preach in Jerusalem. You move into Acts chapter number four, you find the first persecution. Remember, they're called, before the, they're called before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin say unto them, you will not preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And their response, remember Peter's response? Hey, what you, listen, that's between you and God, man's rules and God's rules. We cannot but, we can't but help to speak about that which we've been given. I think it's uh, Acts chapter four and verse number 20. Uh, look at what he says. It says, yeah, Peter says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So, hey, listen, you can threaten us, but we have to speak about this. We've got to preach about it. They're threatened a little bit more. And what do you find taking place? Acts chapter four, verse 24 they begin a prayer. It says, when they uh, heard that, so when they had heard that they had all been threatened, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. So they go to God in prayer. What happens? Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. All right, so prayer takes place. Persecution is there and yet they're still preaching. They're still declaring the word of God. Acts chapter five, the gospel is now multiplying, not only with uh, um, the region right there where they're at, but now in the city of Jerusalem, you can find the gospel multiplying. It says verse number, uh, verse number 14 of Acts five, believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Persecution's happening again, and yet they just proclaim Christ. They're beaten in Acts chapter number five, and yet they rejoice in the persecution. And what do they do? They go pray and they go preach. Acts chapter number six. We're still in Jerusalem right now. Acts chapter number six, what, six, what happens? Well, they begin to pray and God calls them to lead people. Uh, excuse me, to, to pick leaders. God calls them to pick some leaders from among them to help lead the people. Acts chapter number six, that's where we find the man Stephen, right? A man filled with the, with, uh, the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says that they looked, at him, looked upon him as if they were looking upon an angel of God or a messenger of God. And, and persecution begins to take place. Acts chapter number seven, 
Stephen's message. He stands up and he boldly preaches the word of God. Acts chapter seven, the very end, what do they do? They stone him to death. Acts eight, the Bible tells us that the reason they stone him is because there was a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And it actually, it actually uses the phrase that he made havoc of the church. So Saul of Tarsus goes into people's houses, taking them out and imprisoning them and persecuting them and even killing them. So persecution hits. Well, what does the persecution do to the gospel? Look at Acts chapter eight and verse number four. Therefore, they that were scattered, so now the Christians are scattered abroad, what did they do? They went everywhere doing what? Preaching the word of God. All right, so now we're going from Jerusalem and the Bible tells us in Acts 4 that now they're going everywhere. The everywhere it's referring to is Judea and Samaria. We find that in verse number five. Go to Acts 8, 5. Go to Acts 8, 5 very quickly. It says, then Philip went down to the city of where? Samaria. All right, so now the gospel. Acts chapter one through seven, it's in Jerusalem. They're preaching. They're getting it out. Thousands of people are coming to know Christ. They face persecution. They pray. They preach more. They just keep persevering for the Lord. Acts chapter eight, havoc is made of the church. They're dispersed. Where do they go? Judea and Samaria. They go now to the regions right around them. Acts chapter eight, a great revival takes place in Samaria. And uh, Philip then is taken up uh, down to the Gaza Strip to that southern region. And so now you have the southern area of Jerusalem. So now it's not only the northern side with Judea, now it's the southern side. I mean, this is the word of God now is going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. Acts chapter eight, verse, or Acts chapter number nine, what happens? Well, the road to Damascus. Who's saved on the road to Damascus? Saul is. Right? Acts chapter number nine, Saul is saved. And uh, we don't have time to go through and, and learn about his salvation, but we know he's saved. He meets with one Ananias. God met with Ananias in a dream. Ananias was one, or in a, in a prayer. He was praying and God gave him a vision. I want you to talk to Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias is like, Saul of Tarsus, God, he sent with letters here to kill us. And yet you want me to meet with him? And Acts chapter nine, verse number 16 uh, says that they looked, uh, that uh, the Lord says to Ananias, I've got to, I'm, going to use, I'm going to use this man in a great way. He's going to suffer many things, and yet he's going to be used for many things. So Acts chapter number nine, Ananias meets with Saul. He teaches Saul. He disciples Saul. Barnabas also uh, comes on the scene in Acts uh, uh, number uh, nine and, and 10 and 11, I believe, and helps disciple Saul. And so here you have this man who was uh, persecuted of the church, now the uh, presenter of the church, right? The propagator of the church. And what takes place? Verse number 31. What happens? Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Now we're not in just Jerusalem anymore. Now we're in Judea, that southern. We're in Samaria, the central. And we're in Galilee, the north. All right, so now we're all over. It says, and we're edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were what? Multiplied. All right, so now we're growing. Now the gospel spread throughout Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but Acts 1.8, where else does it need to go? Uttermost parts of the earth, doesn't it? You still with me? Uttermost parts of the earth is where it needs to go. All right, Acts 10. What happens in Acts 10? Peter. Peter's uh, on the, the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house, and he's praying. We've been there in Joppa. Uh, and uh, been to the area that they believe was Simon the Tanner's house. I should have put a picture up. Didn't think about it till just now. But we're there, and you can see this house. Uh, there's a church on the property now. But here's, here's Peter, and he's praying. And the Lord comes and meets with him, right, and has the, uh, the uh, um, uh, 
animals that they, they deemed as uh, unright to eat, not right to eat. And the, yeah, unclean, that's what I was looking for. Thank you, Michael. Uh, he, the unclean animals are there and they're there and the Lord says, take and eat. He says, for, no, I, God forbid, I can't do that. And the Lord says, what I've called clean, call not thou unclean. He said, I'm telling you, what was the Lord doing? He was saying, hey, Peter, listen, we've gotten the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now we gotta get it to the uttermost parts. But Peter, you know who's in the uttermost parts? Gentiles. And you're gonna meet with, you're gonna meet with some Gentiles. And as Peter's praying, there's a knock at his gate. It's some guards from a man by the name of Cornelius, right? And says, hey, our master had a dream, a vision to call for you. You're coming with us. Well, I just had a dream that I need to go with Gentiles, so I'm going, right? The Lord had just said, they're gonna knock on your door, you're going with them. So Peter goes with them. He meets with Cornelius. They have a revival in Acts chapter number 10. The Bible tells us that the revival happens and Peter's there preaching, Gentiles get saved. And he goes, wow, I guess the gospel's going to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter number 11, the gospel goes to regions beyond and it goes to an area called Antioch. Churches help each other and they begin to all have part in the ministry. And the Bible says this in Acts 11, verse 29 and 30. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Jerusalem or dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So now you have churches all right, what we talked about a little bit ago. Now you have churches helping out other churches so the gospel can move forward. Now you see faith promise getting involved. Now you see people stepping out by faith to give so that Paul and Barnabas can, can, can continue going and so that the need in the churches of Judea can be met. They're all having a part of it. All right, the word of God's still spreading. Acts chapter 12, the persecution on Peter. On Peter. What does the church do? The church prays. Right? Remember, Peter gets thrown in jail. Those of you that know the story, Peter gets thrown in jail. He gets uh, surrounded by, the Bible says, uh, four quaternions, uh, quatern, quart, whatever the word is, of centurion, of guards, and there's 16 guards around him, right? And he's in jail, and what does the Lord do? The Lord kicks his heel. Hey, wake up. Peter wakes up. The angel of the Lord says, get out of jail. Here's your get out of, free, get out of jail free card. Not even had to play a Monopoly, but you're getting this. And he, he, go, he just gets up, he walks right out of the, he walks past the first group, second group, third group, fourth group, main gate, and he's out in the street. And the Bible says he's out on the street before he even realizes this isn't a dream. I'm really getting out of jail. He goes and he knocks on the door where the house, where the church was meeting. What, were the, what was the church doing? They were praying. A little girl answers the door named Rhoda. And what does Rhoda do? She goes, oh, it's Peter. He doesn't even open the door. Turns around and runs back. Peter's there. And they're like, no, it's his ghost. Certainly if they'd put him to death. She says, no, I'm telling you, it's Peter. Peter's still knocking. He's like, I don't know when the guards are coming after me. Somebody let me in. And they let him in and they rejoice. And what does God do? God encourages Peter. And what does Peter do? He turns right around and goes and preaches the word of God. And Acts 12 says this, Acts 12, 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. All right, so we see prayer happening. We see preaching happening. We see perseverance happening, all in spite of persecution. All of it taking place. Acts 13, God says, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas. Why, I'm gonna send them to the regions beyond. The church prays, the church sends them out, and the preaching continues. Acts 13, 49, what happens? The word of the Lord was published throughout all the what? Go to Acts 13, Acts 13, 49. The word of the Lord was published throughout all the what? Region. 
All right, the region that it's talking about is northern Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia. This would be the furthest north that they had gone at this point. But Paul and Barnabas are sent from there, and now the gospel has going out all that region. So if you go down here, and, and Jerusalem's way down here, you have Jerusalem, that Judean area, Samaria. That's all been covered. Paul travels north up to Antioch of Pisidia. From there, Acts 13, they're sent out. And the Bible says that the gospel begins to go out. The region it's talking about is the uttermost parts. The word of God just keeps going out. All right, what happens from Acts 14 to Acts 28? Well, that can all be summarized by persecution, prayer, and preaching. That's Acts 14 through 28. They preach throughout the entire region. Paul preaches to dignitaries. He preaches in synagogues, in courtyards, in theaters, on city steps, in city meeting halls. And the Bible tells us that the word of God just grows and continues. Here's verses you don't need to uh, necessarily follow along, but uh, Acts 14, 7. There they preached the gospel. Acts 14, 21 and 22. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Acts 16, 25. They're captured, in, imprisoned again at midnight. Paul and Silas prayed, sang praises, and the prisoners heard them. And following that, they preach. Acts 17, 2 and 3. And Paul, as his manner was, went unto them and three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and rise again from the dead and that Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Acts 17, 12, therefore many of them believed, also of uh, honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. Acts 18, it continues. Paul finally makes it to Corinth for the first time and then back into Jerusalem. And it says in Acts 18, 28, he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Acts 19, Paul is then again on another missionary journey and the Acts 19, 20 summarizes it by saying this, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Acts 20, verse number 36, when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them. He's talking with the leaders at Ephesus on his way now to Rome, going back to Jerusalem and then to Rome. And what's he doing? He's praying. He's still preaching. We know that Paul is imprisoned. He goes through Acts 21, Acts 22, 23. Uh, there in the Jerusalem area, Acts 23, he's sentenced and we find him preaching before Felix and we find him pe preaching before King Agrippa. We find him before uh, King Herod and you find him before Festus, all of these rulers and dignitaries. Acts 25 and 26, he gets on a ship. He shipwrecks. Acts 27, they're uh, there at the island and uh, does miracles. Acts 28, I believe they leave the island and Acts 28, verse 31, now they're in, now he's in prison in house arrest in Rome. And what's he doing? Acts 28, 31, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, or the Lord, yeah, the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So here you have this. If you can just see the picture up here, you have Israel, you have Jerusalem down here. Christ is there. Acts chapter number one, he gives the command, go. They go to Judea. They go to Samaria. They spread it up into Galilee. You begin to move further north to Antioch of Pisidia. From there, you have all the ventures across the known world. So now you have Jerusalem. What started down here with 500 believers in Jerusalem is now way over here in Rome. 
It looks to me like Acts 1.8 is fulfilled, isn't it? I mean, it's being fulfilled, isn't it? They went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and now where are they? The uttermost parts of the earth. So from Acts 1 to Acts 28, a 30 to 35-year period, we see the word of God spread from one place to the known world. But you know what's astonishing to me? They did this without technology, without suitable travel, without advertising, without media, without the radio, without TV, without sound systems, without buildings, without the U.S. postal system, without the internet. They did it without anything that most churches use today. Now, does that mean most churches' things they use today are bad? No. But they did it without any of it. What's the key? I give you four principles and we'll be done. We'll do it very quickly. The intro, the introduction is the longest part of the message. I want you to see these four things. Number one, they boldly proclaimed Christ. The believers boldly proclaimed Christ. All throughout the book of Acts, and don't miss it tonight. We'll, we'll get some great thoughts right at the end. All, all throughout the book of Acts, what are they faithful to do? They're faithful to preach Christ. They're faithful to teach and preach Jesus. They put emphasis upon the proclamation of the word of God. It all started with Peter in Acts 1.15. Acts 1.15 says this. It says, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. We read the verse a minute ago. And from that point on, throughout the entire book, the preaching or the proclamation of God continued. Acts 5.42 actually summarizes the preaching of the word of God with the people for the entire book. It says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Even when persecution came, the believers kept preaching. Now, let me give you this thought real quick, and it'll be in the next point a little bit as well. But here's what I want you to understand. You know the people who were preaching all throughout the book of Acts? Not all of them were the church leaders. They weren't the church. They, 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 weren't, peop, they weren't people of notoriety. They weren't the church staff, so to speak. They weren't just the missionaries. The people speaking throughout the book of Acts, many of them are folks that we will never know their name. On this side of heaven, we will never know their name. Acts 8.4, everywhere they go, they go preaching. All of those everywheres, we think, oh, it's just Philip. No, everywhere they went. So there could have been another John. There could have been another Philip. There could have been another Stephen. There could have been another Luke. We don't know. But you know who the they is in Acts 8.4? Bunch of random people. It's not just the pastors. So I don't, I want, us to miss, I don't want us to miss this tonight that the people were involved in the work of getting the gospel out. I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter one, verse number 16. Look with me. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Would to God that we had some believers to say, I, that's my verse too. I'm not ashamed. Not ashamed of the gospel. They boldly proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ. All right, how did they do this? How did they get the gospel out? They boldly proclaimed Christ. Let me ask you a personal question. Recently, recently, who have you shared Christ with? Who have you, who have you given a gospel track to? Who have you shared the Lord with? 
oh, well, it's just not, you know, it's really just not my personality. It's just not my, no. I bet you somebody like a Philip and a Stephen, it might not have been their personality either. I bet you it wasn't their personality. I believe that Paul, even though he's very outward, I believe that Paul probably was more of an introvert. Just reading and some studying. I believe, I believe the, way you, the way he writes, he's so intellectual. Most introverts are more you know, smart than us extroverts. He just, he just was still bold, though. We make excuses, don't we? Well, I'll do it later. I'll, next time. Next time I'm at the, the restaurant. There may never be a next time. Yesterday, we were there, and one of the missionaries, he's at, or church planters, he's actually going to Sri Lanka, uh, so it's not a home church plant, but he's, he's from Yakima. He was 16 when he trusted Christ in Yakima, and uh, God really has just worked in his life, and he's been on staff at a Bible college for a long time, and now he's going to Sri Lanka. His name's John Landy. He'll be with us next year. But he was just, uh, um, I forget where I'm going with this. Oh. We were talking, and he said, hey, did you hear about the student at Heartland? He said, no. He said, there's an 18-year-old kid this week that died at Heartland at the Bible college. I said, what happened? He said, he just, he got sick. He got sick on Monday. He missed his classes on Friday, but got really sick on Monday. Went in Tuesday. They found that his intestines had an infection, and they went in to, to do surgery, and he died on the surgery table. But John Landy said this. He said, but you know what, Dennis? He said, you know what happened a couple weeks ago? He's like, we have the, the outreach ministry that we do. He's like, that young man's a part of the outreach team that I have, and we were doing some soul winning in inner city, Moses, or inner city Oklahoma City. And he was like, you know what that young man did? He got off the bus and just started talking to a man right there. Said, talk to him for an hour and a half and led him to Christ. He's like, that's, that's one of the last memories I have of this 18-year-old kid. Well, what was he doing? He's sharing the gospel. I say that to say you might not have tomorrow. We might not have it. What did they do? They took advantage. Boldly preach Christ. Boldly proclaim him. That's what they did. Notice number two, how did they get the gospel out? They boldly proclaimed Christ. Number two, the believers, every one of them had part in the work of Christ. They had part in the work of Christ. Something that's interesting, and I mentioned this a second ago, in the book of Acts is as you read through this, the believers, they didn't just leave the work up to the leaders. They didn't just say, oh, well, Peter will do that. Oh, you know what? Timothy will do that. Oh, James has that. John's got that. Barnabas, Paul, they'll, they'll take care of it. They didn't do that. Their opinion was, we're all in this together. You go at the account that Luke writes about and we discover and we don't have time to see it all but the believers actually took up the cause of Christ. They gave for the advancement of the gospel. They sacrificed their time for the cause. They were given to hospitality for the work of Jesus. Here's a few times that it's said about them. Acts 1.25, um, talking about Matthias, that he may take part of this ministry of, of apostleship. So now there's someone stepping up into leadership. Acts 2, they continued daily in one accord in the temple and breaking the bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. It says, and the Lord added the church daily as such as should be saved. So now they're all taking part in it. Acts 4, 33 and 43, uh, Acts 4, 33 through 35. It says, with great power, 
uh, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any, um, any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the pieces of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So here now they are gathering and they're sacrificing. And a lot of people like to use this and say, well, this is socialism. This is not socialism. This is the church saying we want to meet the needs of what's taking place out there. We're all going to gather together and we're going to give. We're going to sacrifice. We're going to do things so that this church and other churches can keep moving forward. But they all were doing it. They all had a part of it. You continue down the, down the line and you can get all the way into Acts 10 and 11 and 12 and 13 and on and you see the believers just taking part in the ministry. Can I just tell you that if the word of God is gonna continue forward, it is not going to be because of one individual. It's going to be because of people. That's who it's gonna be. It's gonna be because of the people that are involved, not one single person. I say this often, and I'm, I'm, I praise the Lord for our church and what God's done. But listen, Moses Lake Baptist Church, and I'm thankful for the times that our church thanks me for leadership and for coming here and all of that. But listen, Moses Lake Baptist Church is not because of Dennis Fountain. It's not. Well, but you came. No, I, yeah, but the Lord led us here. And you know what happened? Other churches partnered with us. And when we got here, there were other people like a Mike Gazelle and like a Don Honeycutt and like a Helen Honeycutt and like a Mrs. Love and like a Barbara Intuisil and a Sharon Gazelle and like a little Mikey, the people that just said, all right, we're on board. Let's move. Let's do this thing together. And then other people begin to come on board and, and you see a Leo getting assurance of salvation and getting discipled. And then you see a, a person like a Tony uh, begin to come and, and because of challenges in his life, his life, say, you know what? I just want to give my life back to the Lord. I want to get back on fire for him and begin going door knocking every week. Listen, it's not because of one person. It's because of a church family that said, we see the need and we want to be a part of this. What's going what's to happen? What, what takes place when that happens? God works grow, God's work grows. That's always what happens. It's going to be uh, this, everything's moving forward when, when every single person does their part, giving to missions. When every single person does their part of telling others or of uh, just giving of the tithe or of investing your time in other people and discipling somebody. Listen, it's not just staff that are upstairs discipling right now. Man, I praise the Lord for uh, five and a half years ago, Miss Veronica trusting Christ as Savior and Hannah going through discipleship with her. And, and then just a few weeks ago, Naomi trusting Christ as Savior. And now Veronica's discipling Naomi. Well, what is that? That's the people having a part. I'm thankful for uh, the fact that Sarah, Sarah's discipling Shalane and, and Robert, even though he's on staff, discipling Jacob and discipling some of the teenagers and, and seeing uh, Brother Quinn and Miss Dawn disciple people and others in this room that have been involved in just discipling. We, we're just investing in others. It's, it's the church family that says, I want to have part. You think about this, the church family has part in hospitality and teaching and encouraging Paul said it this way to the church at Corinth. He says, but now as God set the members, every one of them in the body as it pleased him. Man, we're all members and members work together for the future and for the uh, continuance of the gospel. Well, where do we see that? That's key in the book of Acts. All right, how did this thing move forward? They boldly proclaimed the word of God. Every one of them had a part. Notice number three, the believers continuously prayed to Christ. The believers continuously prayed. I want to give you this real quick tonight that 
This right here is the key of the entire book. Prayer. It is the key. Well, I thought preaching's the key. No, preaching, boldness with the believers only came after prayer. Boldness and courage came with Peter in Acts 1.15 because in Acts 1.10 through 13, they were praying. Prayer happened. This is key. You can look Acts chapter number two, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Acts 4.31, when they prayed, the place was shaken. Acts 6.6, 6, uh, when they set the apostles uh, before them, they had prayed and they laid their hands on them. 12.5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God unto God for him. Acts 13.13, 13, they fasted and prayed and sent them away. Acts 16.16, 16, it came to pass that we went to prayer. Listen, all throughout the book of Acts, the believers understood that when we work, we work, but when we pray, God works. And that's the truth of Christianity. You and I, we can go through, and, and I think today we miss this. We miss the fact that we should be a people of prayer. You want to know why God blessed the book of Acts in such a great way? I believe it's because of prayer. It's because the people put an emphasis on prayer. They knew that they needed God's power. Listen, today, too many Christians, myself included, we can think that we can perform or accomplish the work of the ministry. You and I can do nothing except God's power help us. We need God's power. How do we get that? We pray. We keep seeking God. Man, we look at this last uh, uh, two weeks ago, our Community Sunday. We had a number of guests. We had that one lady that trusted Christ. And then this last Sunday, Last Sunday morning, we had a lady trust Christ as a result of Community Sunday. We're still seeing results. Why is that? I don't think it's just because we had people put tracks on a door. I don't think it's because we just had a pancake breakfast or a bus worker outreach. I think God blessed it because for six weeks leading up to it, we had people that were serious about some prayer, saying, God, we cannot do this. How are we going to effectively reach Wenatchee, Washington through Ridgepoint? Well, Mike and Rebecca, they're, they're, they're great people. Yeah, they are. Oh, it's going to be their personality. Oh, it's Micah's preaching. Oh, it's going to be their music. Well, it's going to be their talent. Oh, that's great. But you know what they need? They need a church family behind them that says, we're praying for you. Yeah, we're going to give above and beyond, and we're going to try to help you financially, but I'm, praying for, I'm going to pray for you every day. I'm praying for God's hand in your life. I'm praying for people to be sensitive to the gospel. I'm praying for God to work. Why? We need God. What's it going to be that helps us continue Moses Lake Baptist Church forward? Prayer. That's the only thing it's going to be. It's not going to be because of a, a pastor's message or because of a staff or because of a, uh, the graphics that Robert does or because of your, you as a nursery worker or a Sunday school teacher or a greeter or an usher. No, God's going to work because we pray. It was, the, it was key in the early church. How'd they move it forward? They prayed. Colossians 4.2, Paul said this, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. That phrase, continue in prayer, would be just like what he wrote in Thessalonians, to pray without ceasing, to be continual in it, to be going continually for it. Jesus said this in Luke 18.1, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. He taught parables to them for that, that reason. You gotta, you gotta be involved in prayer. We need his power. We need his prayer. Or excuse me, if we're going to have his power, we've got to have some prayer. What do we pray for? 
You know what? As believers, I think they prayed for the lost. I think they prayed for some loved ones to come to know Christ. I think they prayed for their Antiochs. I think they prayed for Samaria. We need to pray for Moses Lake. Man, pray for God to open doors. Pray for, pray for the, re, the, the, the gospel to still reach and have an impact. Pray for our church planners. Pray for our missionaries. We gotta be people of prayer if we're gonna see this thing move forward. All right, so what do they do? How do they get the gospel out? Four keys. Number one, they proclaim the gospel of Christ. Number two, they each had a part in the work of Christ. Number three, they, every one of them prayed to Christ. And number four, and lastly tonight, they unashamedly persevered for Christ. Listen, unashamedly, they just kept moving forward. I find it interesting all the persecution they went through. It's of no surprise to us because we read the book, but they suffered persecution. Those early believers suffered persecution in some of the most horrendous ways. I read a book a number of years ago. I'd recommend it for anybody. It's called Cold Case Christianity. It's by a detective by the name of J. Warner Wallace. He was, a, he was an atheist and wanted to disprove, like uh, um, uh, Lee Strobel, he wanted to disprove his wife's beliefs. His wife was a Christian and he was an atheist. And so as a detective, he began to deduce that Jesus would be false and try to find reason as a detective to prove that. And in the book, he tells a little bit about his story, but he just gives reasoning and his journey, how he came to realize that Jesus is real and that all the facts point to it. In his research, though, he found a statement that was made by Nero. So he found in Roman history a statement made by Nero about the persecution of believers. And one man, his name was Tacitus, he recorded Nero's response about this persecution. Here's what Nero said. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. All right, so now we're seeing from Nero's own mouth, this has spread from Judea to Rome where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center, talking about Rome, and become, become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Then, upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city, getting the city all fired up, as of hatred against mankind. So their charge for being a Christian was hatred against mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. This is the words of the historian recording the words of Nero. You know what he's saying? They suffered persecution. Man, those believers, they suffered persecution. But we read the book of Acts, what'd they keep doing? Praying, preaching, doing their part, kept persevering, kept moving forward.
I hate to say it to you, but sometimes I let the smallest things discourage me and hinder my perseverance. And there's some days, every Christian has this. There's some days you just, why read my Bible today? Yeah, why should I talk to them about the Lord? There's some days that we let discouragement, maybe discontentment, we let that set in. I just wanna ask you today, where's the spirit of perseverance in believers? Man, where's the spirit that says nothing's gonna stop me from serving him? Where's the pioneering spirit? This week, I got to be around one of my heroes of the faith. I would love to have him in here just to be around our church. His name is Carl Boonstra. He's 94 years old. He's been serving the Lord for 78 years since he was a teenager. He got led to the Lord by a man that my grandfather, my great-grandfather led to the Lord. So Carl Boonstra has been attached to our family for years. And you know what? I got to be around Carl Boonstra this last week and he was preaching at this meeting we were at and him and my mom share a birthday. So we have that connection and we spent a lot of just a few minutes talking. You know what I love about that generation, World War II veteran? You know what I love about that generation? Those of you in here maybe that are uh, 75 and older, 80 and older, I love about the perseverance about your generation. Man, generation that came through the World War, generation that came through the the 50s and the 60s and generations before that that went through the, the 30s and the 40s and the Depression. And what was the spirit? Man, I'm not giving up. Get fired, that's all right, I'll find a new job. House, house burns down, that's all right, we'll build a new one. This happens, that's okay, let's keep moving forward. You know what? Sometimes we have that persevering spirit with everything except for Christianity. There's people that they have the persevering spirit, the spirit that says, I, I, I'll, I'll get a new job. I'll do this how? I'll build that car. I'll, do, I'll accomplish this. But when it comes to continuing as a Christian, it's kind of like, well, I don't know if it's worth it today. And where's the pioneering spirit? I, I want to have that. I want to have the Carl Boonstra pioneering spirit that says, if I'm still alive at 94, I'm just I'm hopefully be preaching still. And it's just continue. I'll be giving the God, giving out gospel tracts still. The spirit that says, I'm gonna pray, proclaim, I'm gonna do my part because I'm gonna persevere. Four keys. Four keys that help the church at Act move, Acts move forward. And so my question for us tonight is: will we continue what they started? Will we continue what they started? I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed tonight and every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want to ask you tonight to take time. Take time. And just in the quietness of your own heart, would you respond to the Lord? Maybe tonight you haven't been bold. I haven't told anybody about the gospel lately. Would you tonight make the commitment, Lord, I want to tell someone about you. Maybe tonight you've been neglecting prayer. God, I just... I want to get back to prayer. Maybe you haven't been doing your part, kind of leaving it up. Well, they'll do that. I'll let somebody else do that. Maybe the devil's been attacking your perseverance. However God's spoken to you, we just take time tonight. Let's make the commitment. Lord, we want to be a part of this. Help us with these four keys. Thank you so much for listening to this message. 
If you would like further information about our church, please visit Moses Lake Baptist Church.com.